Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for tuning into the show twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. I try to bring really interesting interviews with people who can inspire not only those at the sea level in big companies, but really anybody in business who is interested in growth. And to some extent, that probably should be most of us. Uh, before we get started, I do want to plug another podcast. I know you're thinking, Tom, why in the world would you ever plug another podcast? Well, I want to tell you about another show that I host. I actually host four with a fifth one in negotiation. Uh, two of the four are actually ones where I am the, uh, uh, the, I'm the talent. I'm brought in to be the host for someone else's show. And one of those shows is the new one. It is called Speakernomics. It is the new podcast of the National Speakers, Speakers Association. And it is designed to help people in the speaking industry make more money and build a stronger business. So if you use the spoken word, either as your full-time job or just as a way to promote your company, you're going to want to check out Speakernomics and you can find it anywhere that you get your podcast love. All right, so today we are going to have Dr. Ivan Meisner. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, you may have heard of an organization called BNI. And BNI is a networking organization that's been around for a long time. They just passed 10 thousand chapters all around the world. And these local chapters are groups that bring local business people together so that they can share leads, share ideas, and everybody rise that tide that lifts all the boats. Now I've been a familiar I've been familiar with BNI for a long time. I'm not sure that I ever belonged to a chapter, but I visited a bunch of them and the people who participate in this organization, they all swear that they grow their business because of it. And so I've kind of been a little bit of a stalker of Ivan Meisner for 15 years. I've written several books on the topic of networking, and he is sort of the Colonel Sanders of that world. And so I was so excited that he agreed to be here on Making Waves at Sea Level. I also happen to know that in the last, I don't know how recently, but somewhat recently, he moved to Austin, Texas. You know, uh, a lot of people are moving to Austin, Texas. Elon Musk, uh, Joe Rogan, and Dr. Ivan Meisner. So uh, Ivan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I love the name of your podcast, by the way. It's a, it's a fantastic name. Thank you. The, the sh we're, we're up to 100, and, I'm sorry, 630 episodes. The original name of the show was Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Uh, and it's about, not bad either, but <laughs> it's a good like name too. Uh, I changed the name last summer because I went to work for an executive search firm and I wanted all of my sort of lanes of work to line up. And yeah. I focus on larger companies who are looking to fill C-level positions. And so right. therefore I came up with making waves at C-level. So I didn't do justice in the introduction to yourself or BNI. So could you take a quick second and, and tell us about yourself and about the organization? Oh, I hate to talk about myself, but I, you know, I've, I've been, um, I have a lot of gray hair. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I earned all this gray hair. Uh, we've been, uh, I, I founded BNI in 1985. It's 36 years old. Uh, and as you mentioned in the introduction, we just hit the 10,000 chapter mark. We're in more than 70 countries around the world. Last year, uh, during the middle of the craziest year I have ever seen because of COVID and then the resulting recession in most countries, uh, our organization passed 12 million referrals, not leads, 
we have a distinction, referrals, 12 million referrals. And we generated, yeah. So is a referral a lead that turns into business? Is that the differentiation? No, a referral is an opportunity to do business with someone who's in the market to buy your product or service. In other words, when you refer somebody, they are expecting your call. A lead is just a contact. A referral is a connection. And so um, we, we, we do referrals. Those 12 million, million referrals um, resulted in 16 billion, with a B, 16 billion US dollars worth of business for our members. And that's based on what they say they made from the referrals. In COVID, I mean, can you imagine that? We did $16 billion. I, I really believe, and I've heard this from many members, that they're in business today because um, of their involvement in BNI. We transitioned um, all of our chapters, all 10,000 chapters, or almost all 10,000 chapters um, today to online. So from 10,000 weekly in-person meetings, we went to 10,000 uh, weekly online meetings. And so what was that transition like for uh, the individual chapters and for the company to kind of shepherd that? Yeah. Well, listen, about about six years ago, um, I brought in a, a partner into BNI. And, uh, and that's kind of when I became the Colonel Sanders and he runs the day-to-day operation. And, and I have to give him credit. He saw this coming before I did. He reached out to me in January of 2020 and said, COVID's going to be huge. And I remember telling him, yeah, you know, it's another virus. It's fine. <laughs> and man, was I wrong. He was looking around a corner. He flipped all of our chapters in China uh, to online in January of last year. He flipped Italy in uh, February and started flipping the rest of Europe in February. By March, the entire world, ten, almost 10,000. We actually opened 300 chapters last year. So uh, we had 9,700 chapters by March. And we flipped all 9,700 of them to online meetings. So it was, you know, it was a little painful. People, you know, look, I, I started an in-person networking organization. They wanted to meet in person. But, you know, networking events are written about by um, medical experts as super spreader events. And so we could meet in person or we could meet online. And if we meet on per- in person and somebody catch COVID and dies, you know, it's like it's pretty obvious it's better to meet online, which is what the overwhelming majority of chapters worldwide. There are some in some countries that have virtually no COVID cases that are allowed to experiment with going back, but overwhelming majority is still online until it is safe. We want our members to be safe. So it was, was, uh, you know, it's different to meet online than in person, but we've made it work. So I think that's fascinating that an organization that large can pivot that fast and still continue yeah. to grow and thrive. What's it been like for the, you said, 300 new chapters that have started since March? What's, what's it been like? What's the experience been for them? I mean, I think this is, a great, this is a great message for leaders everywhere. Yeah, I think some of them may never meet in person. They may continue to meet online. I believe many will, listen, we haven't made a decision as to exactly what we're going to recommend. Um, we certainly would welcome chapters going back to meeting in person when it's safe. I think, to be honest with you, I think they'll end up being a hybrid. I mean, here's the low-hanging fruit in online. Many BNI groups meet in areas that snow during their winter. And what they do is they shut down when there's a snow day in schools. So they say, if there is a snow day, we will not meet. Well, now 
I think it's really easy to say if there's a snow day, we meet by Zoom. We meet by our, our BNI online platform, which is supported by Zoom. Zoom likes us. We have 10,000 Zoom accounts. Roughly. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I bet that you're, you're, you're a super client of Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's low hanging fruit. That's obvious stuff we can do. Uh, and, but I wouldn't be surprised if chapters do some kind of hybrid uh, meeting in person um, a certain number of times a month and meeting online a um, certain number of times on month. And we'd be open to that. The key is you got to pivot. And the irony here is in 2018, I wrote an article, you can find it on Entrepreneur, that basically says the future of face-to-face is online. Hmm. In 18, I wrote that because of technology. I, you know, I didn't see COVID coming, but I, I saw the, the improvement in technology, in 3D technology, mixed reality technology, holographic technology. There's a report from a VP of Linden Labs that said that within 10 years, um, mixed reality technologies will be as commonplace as an iPhone. And I figured when that happens, BNI is going to be disrupted. And we had a choice. We can either lead the disruption or we could be disrupted. And, you know, I think someday we're going to have meetings. Like, you remember Star Wars, the Jedi Knights? Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, whole, like the holograms. Jedi, yeah. A couple holographic Jedis. I figure someday it's going to be like that. And when we get there, I want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right, right. Well, all, all we need to do is get you a robe. You kind of have that look going <laughs> That's on already. It, I do. So the reason I wanted to bring you on on the podcast is you wrote a book, I think about a year ago or so, uh, it's called Who's in Your Room? And of course, today, the room, the room might be your Zoom room. But uh, tell me about the concept of that book. And why, why does this matter for business leaders? It matters to everyone, particularly business leaders, because they have uh, a lot of people who are working in their organization. So here's the concept. Imagine that you live your entire life in one room and that one room has one door and that one door is an enter only door so that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You could never get them out. Boy, that would make me much more selective about who I let into my room. Yes, sir. And so our question, and I wrote it with Stuart Emery and Rick Sapio, our question was, then why aren't we more selective? Because most people say, well, it's a metaphor, uh, but why aren't we more selective? I would argue that it's more than a metaphor, and here's why. I want you, Tom, to think of somebody uh, that you got out of your room, because people say to me, it is a metaphor. I can get people out of my room. I can get them out of my life. So it's it's interesting, because I've been talking about the fact that how COVID has allowed us to clear the the asshats out of our room. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want you to think of somebody that you've gotten out of your life. <clears throat> and, and now I'm not, I'm not going to, and I want you to think of somebody that was maybe obnoxious or caustic or whatever. Now I'm not going to uh, make you I, say I got, good. I got two in mind. I won't name okay, them, but good. there, there are two who are leading that pack. All right. All right. Good. That's great. Now I want you to think of them, but you're not going to have to say who it is. I want you to think of why you got them out of your life. I want you to think of a specific experience. And if, if for those of you listening to this podcast, I want you to think of at least one person and why you got them out of your life and think about what they did that made you so angry. So you got something, Tom? Oh, you don't to- have to say I didn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. If they're still in your head, they're still in your room. <laughs> and, Ouch. and they'll be there. They'll be there forever. Ouch. You got me. Yeah. Well, listen, Dr. Daniel Amen, we interviewed him. Uh, for the book. And one of the things he said is that people who come into your life 
your fingerprints are all over your brain. The decisions you make for the rest of your life that have anything to do with something like that individual will be all over your brain and you'll make decisions in the future based on those experiences in the past. And you might make good, good decisions or bad decisions based on those experiences. And, you know, you might have a bad experience and so you avoid everything related to anything like that, but yet you might miss some opportunity because you had that bad experience or vice versa. And so um, the truth is that the people will be in your room forever because your room begins on the right side of your temple and ends on the left side of your temple. It is your mind. And what you have to do is be very selective about the people that you let into your head or into your room. And, and so what we suggest in the book is you have to hire a doorman. Okay. So it's a metaphorical doorman. It's, it's your conscious and subconscious mind. And that doorman says, Hey, wait a minute. This is not a person that I want to let into my life. How do you make that decision? We got to make that decision based on your values. So I'm I'm going to give you another, uh, another little uh, uh, thing here to think about, but this time you get to share. Um, When I ask most people, I'm not going to ask you the, the first part of this. When I ask most people, what are their values? Give me a list of six values. They're like personal values. They're like deer in headlights. They, they, they have no idea and they got to really think. And so you got to get good with your values. Here's a way to start. Start with deal breakers. What are your deal breakers? What is the behavior in someone else that is absolutely intolerable to you? So I am going to ask you that question. What's a deal breaker for you? You don't want someone in your life that behaves like X. Uh, who, who backstabs others because they'll eventually do you. Absolutely. Or, or bad talks or, or, or whatever. I mean, anybody, anybody who is like starting a conversation with, hey, I got dish on somebody. I've learned yeah. I eventually end up on the plate. Yeah, no question. I really believe that you talk to someone, not about someone. That's really important. Um, and that's a great deal breaker. And so what I tell people is start with your deal breakers. What is it that you won't accept? And then start thinking about what you want. Because that's the key. It's not, the key is not what you don't want. The key is what you do want. But it's a great way to get to where you do want. And in the book, we have a few. Uh, we, we have a, an instrument or a test that you can do that, that would help you figure out your values. But there's a lot of stuff online to help you figure out your values. And so what you do is you train your doorman, your conscious and subconscious mind, on those values. So that when you understand what your values are, you understand what kind of person to let into the room. Now, how does this apply to the C-suite? You, you should have corporate values, core values. So when you allow people into your corporate room, they need to be people who, are, who have values that are congruent with that. They don't have to be the exact same values, but they can't be dissonant. They have to be resonant. And when you bring people into your personal room or your professional room, they, they have to be willing to accept and live the values of that business. And if they don't, that's where things go horribly wrong. Hmm. So I, I like now I have to go read this book because now you've, you've got me entirely intrigued about the, the room between my ears that's going on there. But yeah. uh, so for those leaders, for those business executives, sometimes you don't get to pick who's necessarily in your room because you know, you don't get to pick everybody that you work with. So how do you deal with people who, who, who've snuck in through the, the side door you didn't know was there? 
Yeah, and you may not have let them in. It might have been uh, another supervisor that let them in. So um, you got to get them. You can't get them out of the room because they're you know, like they're always going to be there. There's, You're going to always there's no outdoor. Yeah, yeah. You can stick them in a box and put them on a shelf. You know what I mean? And and let me tell you something that Harvey McKay said to me years ago. I, I had lunch with Harvey, and and one of the things he said to me was incredibly powerful: is that I have lost more sleep over the people I have kept than the people I have let go. And that really hit me. Um, and, and it was, I think, very accurate that sometimes it's just not a good fit. And, and you know, you give them an opportunity. And if they're not going to step up, then it's best for them and best for you to open that position to, to somebody else to come in. It's interesting you bring up Harvey McKay. So the reason I became a professional speaker was because yeah. of Harvey McKay. Back in the 90s, I saw him speak a couple of times and uh, I went up to him and, and told him I would be interested in doing what, what he did. And we sat down and we had a cup of coffee. He like said, well, wait till the line is gone. And we yeah. sat down and had a cup of coffee. And then a few years later, he came to speak in Austin for an organization I was part of. And that organization um, asked me to pick him up at the airport and drive him around. And so I, I had him in the car for the By the day. way, that's a great technique for anyone who wants to meet speakers. That's really smart. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I knew what I was doing and I got to spend the whole day with him. And he basically laid out that if you really want to be a speaker, here's what you need to do over the next five years. And five years later, that was my career. So I, when, when I hear the name Harvey McKay, I, I, I genuflect just a little. Absolutely. And as well, we all should. Harvey was, is an amazing guy and I haven't seen him in a few years, but he's an amazing guy. And, um, uh, I have the highest respect for him. All right. So in addition to everything that we've talked about, you have been the leader of a big organization. So let's take this back into sort of your own world. So what advice do you have as someone who has overseen the growth of a company? What advice do you have for people in general, maybe not about this, who's in your room? What advice do you have for other leaders? Yeah. So listen, I think that you have to begin with uh, having a really big vision uh, for what it is that you want to accomplish in your company, your business. So when I started BNI, and and, and the big vision can be with any C-level uh, executive, not just the founder of a company. But when I started BNI, I had a, this big vision of 10,000 chapters. And I came up with that number in, in uh, 1986, uh, based on calculations that I did and a lot of research that I didn't. And that was before Monsieur Google. So you know, <laughs> it really took a lot of work. And I remember having a conversation with somebody and, and, and saying to them, you know, I think some, someday BNI could have 10,000 chapters. And he looked at me and he said, and how many chapters do you have, Ivan? I said, 30. <laughs> <laughs> he said, 10,000. Oh, well, it's good to have goals. Really good to have goals. And, um, and here we are, December of 2020, we hit 10,000. So it starts with the vision. And then, um, and then you got to really uh, do a number of things that help accomplish that vision. And, and those things are things that really, at the time I was reading The Emoth by Michael Gerber, who's now become a really good friend. And it was like create systems, create processes, write everything down. Uh, write everything down as though you're going to franchise your business, even if you don't plan on franchising your business. And that's what I did. And I didn't plan on franchising my business. But then when I wrote everything down, it became like, why don't I franchise my business? And we did. So uh, Gerber was amazing for me as a young man in business. Um, I think the one biggest mistake that companies make, entrepreneurs make, C-level, C-suite executives make, 
is that if you want to be successful in business, you got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Mm-hmm. And all too often, executives keep chasing bright, shiny objects instead of doing the handful of things. And it doesn't have to be six. It could be five. It could be seven. Um, the handful of things and doing them over and over and over again. I think that is one of the keys to success in business. Awesome. Well, I've got a couple of more questions for you before I let you go, because you are one of the godfathers of networking. So I want to get into that topic. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right training, equipment, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in the world of business like Ivan Meisner. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ivan, I've written a couple books on this concept of human connections, your network, your brand. Uh, obviously, what you've done with BNI, you know, you're, you're, you're the granddaddy of them all in that. Let's get down to the nitty gritty about this whole concept of the people you connect with and how it brings you opportunities. Oftentimes, people go, oh, yeah, 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 and they blow that off. But there's so much more to it. So what do you want people to know about why it matters, why people matter in this equation? Well, I listen, I think, I think most people recognize that people matter. However, it's how you go about making those connections with people that I think people, many people get wrong. They, they tend to use networking like a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. Hi, Tom, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. And they, you know, jump right into it. I did a, a presentation in London years ago, and there were 900 people in the audience. It was an all-day affair. I was the keynote speaker. There were a lot of breakouts going on and mixing and mingling. And I don't know what hit me, but I just... I saw a lot of face-to-face cold calling taking place. And so I asked the audience, I said, how many of you are here? This is open to the public. I said, how many of you are here? Raise your hands. If you're hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly sell something today. 900 people raised their hands. I mean, the entire audience. I said, okay, great. Thank, uh, Thank you. Second question. How many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly buy something? No one raised their hands, not a single person. So Tom, this is what I call the networking disconnect. People show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody's there to buy. So why go? Here's why. You want to work your way through what I call the VCP process. It stands for visibility, credibility, profitability. First, you have to be visible. People have to know who you are. Nobody's going to refer you business if they don't know you. And so you got to get to know that person. And once you had visibility, you got to get to credibility. And credibility is where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. And they may know you're good at it because they've used you or they have friends that have used you and you've got great references. And that takes time, by the way. You can't speed that up. It, it, it takes the time to build the relationship. And then and only then can you get to profitability where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to refer business to you because they trust you. And, and so you go to networking events to work your way through the VCP process. If you meet someone you don't know, it's the beginning of visibility. 
If you meet somebody you do know and you want to continue to build that relationship, that's where your credibility, if you know people, if you meet people there that you're passing referrals to and they're passing referrals to you, it's a different conversation at those different levels. What happens is people, they try to jump over visibility. They try to jump over credibility. They want to get right to profitability. Like, hey, Tom, it's nice to meet you. Here are three copies of my card. Maybe you could refer me to other people, right? (laughs) That happens to me. So I call this premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times. It'll get you in a lot of trouble. Well, it's so true. I mean, I I tell people that I have found just from my own experience, not a scientific study, it takes about seven, maybe 10, but somewhere around seven or eight interactions with people, not before your friends, not before they do business with you, but before they even notice you're part of the organization. So yep. it could take you a year of going to a chamber of commerce, you know, type event or a BNI or whatever before people in the room are even like, oh yeah, he's interesting. I remember now. So you're exactly right. Yeah. So, so it takes a while to get there. And then the other thing is, is that that old cliche of people do business with people they know they like, and they trust right. it's true. And so, you, true. you know, you, you have to get there, but here's my take on it is it used to be that getting to know somebody was a process. And it took that seven to 10 times you participated in things in your community and like and trust came along or or it didn't because you're not going to like and trust everybody. I know, don't tell your mom, but not yeah. everybody's going to like you. So, you know, but but along the process, like and trust came along with, with many of the people. And now we all think we know everybody because we read their blog, we listen to their yeah. podcast. And so it's harder, I think, today to get to like and trust because everybody wants a shortcut. So when you get there, when you really put in the work and get to that level of what you're calling that credibility, that's when the magic happens. That's when the magic happens. And I think that it really requires, whether you're doing this online via Zoom or in person, it really requires that one-to-one connection. Just you know, reading someone's blog is a great way to know a little bit about them, but they don't know anything about you and it's got to be a two-way street. It's not my credibility that counts. It's my credibility according to you. It's how how much you think I'm credible. And then it's how much I think you're credible. And so you got to be both on the same wavelength in order to uh, be at that, at that place. I think that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. And I've written about that for years. It's about cultivating relationships with people, which means it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. If you're hunting, you basically eat what you kill that day. But farming is long-term, but it also yields great results. Yep, absolutely. So what are the big mistakes people make in corporate America when it comes to networking? Well, I think it's that, it's that uh, concept of uh, a premature solicitation or, or the, the networking disconnect of asking for something before there's a relationship. Um, it's social capital and financial capital <clears throat> actually have some similarities in the sense that the bank has this crazy idea that you have to put money in an account before you write a check on it. <laughs> how silly is that? Yeah, how silly is that? But, um, but the truth is social capital is very much the same. You have to invest in the relationship. Let me give you an example. I have a friend um, now, but when we we first met, uh, he reached out to me and he had this idea um, that he shared with me. And I thought he was just, you know, he's okay, here comes the pitch. You know, I'd met him in this organization. Now's the pitch. And he he pitched it to me and I'm like, his name was Alex. And I was like, Alex, I like the idea, but I, you know, I budget a year in advance for the projects that I'm going to do. And he said, no, 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 I want to test this out. And I think you'd be a great person to test it with. Let me just do it for you. I'm like, that, you don't have to do that. And he said, no, no, it would help me. 
I'm like, okay, fine. So we did it. It, it was a really good idea and it worked well. And then a couple months later, he came up to me with this other idea. And I'm like, Alex, you know, you don't have to do this. No, no, I want to do it. He, he, did, he reached out to me every two or three months with some idea that, that he, he wanted me to try out with him. And all of it benefited mostly me, although he got to test it. After a year, Tom, he called me one day and he said, Ivan, I have a favor to ask you. I said, Alex, the answer is yes. What am I doing for you? And he laughed and he said, I haven't even told you what it is. I said, Alex, all you have done is invest in a relationship with me. It's all you've done. And I haven't given anything back. So uh, I can't imagine you're going to ask for anything I'm not willing to do. So what is it I'll be doing? And he told me, I'm like, oh, yeah, are you kidding? I'm happy to do that. I did it. And I felt like for the first time, I invested some social capital in into the relationship. That is the way you build a powerful personal network. God, that is everybody rewind about two minutes and listen to what he just said all over again. Cause you are, I mean, yes. And it made me remember. So in the podcast world, I get, I, I mean, I have a, this is a decently listened to podcast. I get over a thousand downloads per episode, which isn't giant, but it's more than the average podcast. And I get 40 to 50 inquiries a week from people who want to be on the show. And what's fascinating <laughs> to me is most of them aren't somebody who I'm like, did I just hear from Dr. Ivan Meisner? Most of them are people who I've never heard of and who don't have anything. And they, they'll literally like be like, oh, I want to be on your show. And I'd say no, obviously, to 48 of them a week. However, this one person I said no to really wanted to be on the show. And so over several months, I found this person on social media tweeting about my show. Uh. And, and I just sort of saw it and then showed up on LinkedIn, which, of course, is the more powerful place to talk about a business podcast. And there was a lot of that going on, not overboard, for many, yeah. many months. And then I got a direct message on one of the social media capital things saying, I really do love your show. I had pitched to be on it here's why. And I was like, well, of course you can be on my show. Of course. So Why? Because he invested in a, some kind of a relationship in a very positive way. Brilliant. So Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I'm now hosting the National Speakers Association's podcast. And it's a new podcast. They used to have a program called Voices of Experience. And yeah. it had started off as a, a cassette tape that came with the magazine, became a CD. They moved it to a podcast. And actually the host last year, uh, Crystal Washington, pushed it so far into the world of, of real podcasting. But we decided, the organization and I, that, that we would close that one down and we would start Speakernomics. It has mm -hmm. only had seven episodes published at the time we're recording this. And I have received, I'm keeping a tally, I have 23 <laughs> hashtags from people who've reached out and said, I want to be on the new podcast. Yeah. Well, that's great. Some of them are people I want to have on the podcast. But yeah. nobody has said, what can I do to promote the podcast? I haven't gotten yeah. one of those Re outreaches and it's like that's who's going to get on the show right yeah absolutely and that's the way to do it i mean that's a real lesson to people that want something it's you gotta you gotta build that relationship you really do so when you have a network as big as yours isn't it hard to always be a giver well so i i wrote a, a book called infinite giving uh, just uh, published it uh, a few months ago, and it's the seven laws of prince uh, of uh, the seven principles of givers gain. And no, I think it's a lifestyle. I think that the the idea of givers gain is is a, a powerful one. It's it's more than a phrase. Givers gain it, it's a way of living one's life. It's a perspective to view and interact 
with the world. It's an attitude, not an expectation. And when it's applied properly, it will change your life. And when it changes enough lives, it'll change the world. There are some rules to go with that. You know, give more than expected, but don't give more than you can. Give from your saucer, not your cup, but give freely from your saucer. Be humble. Don't be arrogant. You know, be humble when working with other people. Don't let your ego enter the room before you enter the room. And recognize that gratitude, gratitude for people who help you is not new age psychobabble. It's science. There have been studies by Harvard, by Yale, by Claremont University that show that gratitude and helping other people not only increases performance for the other person, it increases the results from the person who's showing gratitude. It's why we're, we're doing this during International Networking Week, and our, and our theme is a world of thanks. Thank people who've made a difference in our life. Thank those people. And I think that's all part of the philosophy of Giver's Game. Well, Ivan, thank you so much for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. I really, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm not just pandering because you said be grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened that for 20 years I've never met you before. Well, I'm glad we met, Tom. And let's not make this the last time we meet. You're, we're, we're close to each other geographically. And when this crazy COVIDness is over, uh, love to get together. I would like that. I would like that as well. So thank you to Ivan Meisner for being here. If you have never read any of his stuff, uh, he is very prolific. There's a lot of books out there. We've talked about two or three of them today, but go and read his stuff. It will make you better. Uh, if you do not know about BNI, check it out. Find out if it's right for you and for the BNI, business. BNI.com, if I can say. And my blog is IvanMeisner.com. All free content up there. IvanMeisner.com, uh, BNI.com. Check them both out. And thank you so much to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this podcast? Six and a half years, over 630 episodes. Uh, and I don't plan to quit anytime soon. So please come back every Tuesday and Thursday for interviews with people who are making waves like Ivan Meisner. And you're thinking, how will you find anybody as great as Ivan Meisner? We'll do it in just a couple of days. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles, make sure that your career ladder is against the right wall. Because the truth is, you don't want to climb that ladder and find out it's in the wrong place. And while you're out there doing all this, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.